This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 157. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with my big, bald, beautiful, sexy co-host, oh, Christopher J. Graham. That's the first time I've ever dropped the S-bomb on you, dude. How do you feel? Not great, but we'll get back to that later. <laughs> well, it's because you didn't have your purple shirt on today, which you usually do. You have a black shirt on today, which makes me feel sad. I, I was wondering why I feel a little weird today, and it's because you have a black shirt on with your like dark background. It's true. I'm blending in. For those who don't know, the Six Figure Creative Podcast is now a video podcast as well. So if you're watching this on YouTube by chance, then you see Chris's sexy self and his black shirt. If not, you just see the photo that's on your podcast app right now, whatever you use. So there's that. Banter. Chris, I have banter. Let's talk oh about my banter. God, no. Okay. So skip to uh, probably eight minutes of this podcast. If you want to skip all banter, here we go. Go ahead, Chris. I got a kitten. Its oh God, name no, no. is. No, I'm never going to talk about your dumb cat. Dude, I hate cats. It's amazing. Its Don't name care. is NASA, all capital letters, just like the okay. space organization. That's the best name for a cat I've ever heard. I know. I knew but you'd love it. But it doesn't change the fact that the cat sucks. <laughs> it literally, it sleeps on me all night long. And because it's plotting to kill you. That's why. It's cute enough that I might let it. I'm not going to lie. It's, <laughs> it's so awesome. On your awesome. tombstone. It lived a long and great life, but killed by stupid NASA the kitten. He, <laughs> he seemed to think it was worth it. Oh, man. Yeah, she's fantastic. I got her at the Humane Society, and the Humane Society named her NASA, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get this, this freaking cat. Its name is NASA. And my kids were jacked. by default. Yeah. I could have gone for a dog and I would have still gotten that cat just because of its name. <laughs> now I would have like, I would have hated the cat my entire life. I would have yelled at it and like pointed my finger and shamed it all the time just because it's a cat, but I've taken it home because I don't want a, a cat called NASA stuck at the humane. So good for you, at least for like adopting a cat instead of like do it again. buying do it again. one from some, some hoity toity cat breeder or cat breeders a thing like dog breeders by the way i don't they I don't are i almost bought a ragdoll cat which is like a bunch of money but like you pick them up and they just go limp and let you like <laughs> holy a stupid cat would do that they're so stupid i hate them <laughs> i love dogs just so you know anyone is like brian has no heart no i freaking love dogs the only reason we don't have a dog is because like we want to travel we want to see things before we're like and not be tied down to the you know you know what's great for that is a cat no, because the cat will like poop everywhere. I don't know what a cat no, does. No, what what's wrong with you? A cat, cat has a litter box. The cat literally doesn't care about you. You're there to serve the cat. The mm. dog is there to serve you. That's the difference. Dogs you're love humans. Cats tolerate humans. You're probably Period. Right. End of story. I have a robot that cleans up my cat's feces. What did you name it? Jarvis? Oh, it doesn't have a name yet. Yeah. Our, our robot, his name is Tippy. He's a little circular robot and he goes around tipping shit over on our house and he's great. Oh, we've got, I have a, it's a vacuum cleaner named Will Palmer. All right. So the, you got your three minutes of banter, Chris. Do you, is there anything else you need to get off your chest before we actually get into a valuable episode? So somebody actually gains some, some sort of information that helps so, their business. There's so much opportunity for banter right now. I had a brain scan yesterday. We could talk about okay, that. Okay. So let me just, let me just say why we're doing this is because this is the first time Chris and I have really gotten to do an episode like the old school days. Like this, this is the return of the six figure home studio podcast. Essentially. Like we missed eight months of our podcast because of just delays and life and, and circumstances that came up and got in our way of like things that the FBI will probably be involved in. Right. So, but we missed (laughs) like 50, we missed like 50 episodes of the podcast. So 
this is just a free episode you get that came out between one interview and another interview. And so we now to, this is my hope that we can make up for the 50 episodes we missed out on eventually. I don't know what the timeline will be, but eventually these little in-between episodes will be uh, making up for those. So do we want to kind of skip the brain scan thing and get into the topic of today's episode? Or do you want to talk about the brain scan thing? (laughs) Yeah, the brain scan probably isn't very important to talk about. It didn't show anything yet. So yeah, we can skip it. I mean, I'm I'm only saying that because the brain scan came back clean. (laughs) Spoiler alert, your brain is fine. (laughs) Can we skip the brain scan? You prickly son of a gun, Brian. I know. That's why we that's why we work so well together, because because you're so you're so lovable and I'm so hateable and it's just a good clash. I love you. I miss you. I'm glad we're back on doing just you and I episodes for uh, between interviews. So let's talk about let me tee up today's episode today. Today we're gonna talk about three different types of marketing that creatives should know about at least. You should all know about these types of marketing. But to me, one, maybe half of another one, one and a half of these are ones that I think most creatives should be actually utilizing at least at scale. So let's, let's talk about what we mean by this, Chris. Uh, do you want to say anything before we get into this topic today, Chris? Brain scan. Okay, let's go. <laughs> We're going to be so rusty today, by the way. Like, we have not, like we used to have a really good weekly flow. We had a good workflow. Like we're relearning how to actually be good podcasts together again. This is true. All right, so let's dive into what we're going to talk about today. So there's three types of marketing for creatives or really any business in general. The first one of these is the most obvious of all of the, of the types of advertising you've ever seen or, or marketing. And we're going to kind of use this word interchangeably right now, even though there are some differences for creatives. We don't have to get into the minutia of this, so we're just going to really stick to the using the, this as a lump together term, marketing and advertising. But the first type and the type you see almost everywhere, the type that we're bombarded by is just simple branding advertising. This is the type of advertising that you see on billboards. It's the type of advertising you see on commercials. And Chris, Looks like he wants to say something. So I'm going to let I him, do. his little, his little, he's doing his little finger thing for those who can't see right now. Well, I, I think before we get into this, it's worth mentioning that when we talk about marketing or anybody talks about marketing, most creatives have a little bit of an allergic reaction. And there's this sort of idea that like, well, if I market myself, that means I'm trying to build my career on something other than my talent or passion or skill or fill in the blank. And boy, that's, that's such a problem. No matter how good what you are selling is, no matter how talented you are, marketing, I think, is your duty as a creative. It's you letting people know about your special sauce. I think a perfect example of this, I'm going to get this, I'm going to sort of tell a true story because I'm going to forget parts of it. But back in the day, they came out with a smallpox vaccine. And by back in the day, I mean like 1780 or something crazy like that. And people didn't want to take it. And it wasn't until I think it was like the queen of France got her kids inoculated for smallpox that people were like, oh, wow, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll I'll get the smallpox inoculation. And it was, it was like the first, one of the first types of, of influencer marketing where people understood, boy, we really need to get everyone to take this vaccine. It's going to save so many lives. And the queen made a big deal out of, hey, I'm going to get it and my kids are going to get it. And then people will feel okay getting it. Even the smallpox vaccine required marketing bruh, your, your doodles or your photos or your audio, what it needs marketing. Okay. So just to kind of like bring Chris's point to a even better point, just to kind of add on what you said, Chris, because <laughs> you make a, you make a very good case here, here. And here's what Chris is saying is if a simple shot that can save hundreds of thousands or millions of lives over, you know, decades takes marketing, then so does your creative service, whatever that is. You're not even saving lives. So if you think that you can just get on by the, the, the skill alone, 
you are, you're mistaken. And so Chris is just saying like, Hey, it, and this is the saying that we are going to be saying more and more on this podcast. It takes more than passion and it takes more than skill. So marketing and advertising is a great way to get your skills out into the world. So people are aware that you exist and for people to then not hire the person down the road, who's going to do an even worse job than you could do. Another way of saying is a lesser job than you, not quite as great as you are at your job. So it's your duty to advertise or to market your services because the alternative is someone hiring someone that's inferior to you. So that's why we're talking about this today before we get into this. So the first type of marketing for your, for, that people are most aware of is just branding. Branding is what you see on billboards. It's what you see on commercials, on TV, on radio. It's, it's the thing that you, is most visible to people in the world. And the mistake that people make, especially us as freelancers and creatives, is that we see all of these things in the world that all these big companies are doing. And we say, I guess that's how I'm going to advertise my services as well. And so they go out into the world and they think, well, how can I replicate this? The results are usually the worst possible thing. And Chris, you, you may disagree or you may agree. I don't know. We, we didn't really discuss our thoughts and feelings on each of these three advertising or marketing methods. But the mistake we make is you trying to replicate these big brands is like a single solo person trying to take on a giant first world nation's army in a war. Every single one of the dollars that these big corporations have is like little soldiers that you're having to fight against. And your tiny little bank account in no way can compete to these big, massive armies. When it comes to branding, there's a, bill, there's a bunch of billboards here in Columbus, Ohio that I think are doing just an unbelievable job of it. And I imagine they're probably in your town too. And they are billboards for a product called oat milk. It's milk made from oats. And in particular, I think it's, is it Oatly? Yeah, oat milk, you know, the oat milk, and the brand Oatly, and the the stupid Super Bowl commercial they ran, and all that. No, other I drink stuff. it. I drink it pretty much every day. Okay, I had it in my I had it in my latte today. <laughs> but here's the thing that's so amazing about them. Their tagline is something like "milk, but made for humans." And you read that, and you're like, "Wait, what?" It's a little confusing at first, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, milk isn't made for humans. It's made for baby cows." That's such good branding and it sticks in your brain. You know what my brain thinks of when I hear that? And this is way off topic is I think of like, is this human milk you're selling me? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a little bit. And I think that's what makes it so interesting is there's a little bit of a like uh, human breeding undertone, which gets yeah. our attention. Yeah, it's true. it's true. We are sexual creatures, most of us. And that sort of stuff is memorable. So this slight, it's not inappropriate. But this slight hint at something that you're going to remember that involves boobs. Well, I know exactly what you're talking about because I know that exact billboard on Interstate 40 here in Nashville, right? Like outside of the downtown ring here. So I know exactly where that billboard is. You saw it stuck in your mind. Unbelievable branding. But let me just say this. That is not the type of marketing that creatives can replicate. We just can't do that. <laughs> and, and, here, and here's the problem is... And this is the biggest, the biggest pitfall to brand, just branding, just advertising that sort of way. The old school marketing way is because there is no great way for, for someone as small as us to properly track and understand the return on our investment of advertising like that. Not only is it wildly expensive to rent a billboard or to get a, a, a commercial on TV or radio or some of these traditional methods, not only is it really hard, like really expensive, it's also very difficult to track the return on investment with that. Now, these big brands, they do have some sorts of things they can do to track that. I'm not going to get into that right now, but for for creatives, solopreneurs, small agency owners, we don't have the means to really do that. So what does that leave us to do. And that brings us to our second type of marketing for creatives. And that is something called direct response marketing. 
Chris, I know you know a lot about this because you've done so many Google ads in your lifetime and I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads. Yes, we spent way too much money to the old social media marketing world, but this is a fantastic alternative to brand marketing if if you wanted to get into advertising. And it's not only, it's not, by the way, this is not only limited to just paid ads. There are ways to do direct response marketing outside of paid media, but we just want to explain what direct response marketing it is so you can think through our thought process, the methodology here, and whether it's going to be right for you. Because this could be one. This is why the, the kind of the half number that I said, I said there's one and a half that creatives should use. This is the half one. This is the one I'm kind of on the fence about because there's pros and cons to this. But let me just get into what direct response marketing is. Direct response marketing is, and you can, you can update me on this, Chris, because you'll, you'll probably have a way better example or way better definition than me. It's when you put a message out into the world that can be directly measured, either via clicks or lead or, or opt-ins or dollars gained. You have some sort of metric that you're getting back immediately instead of you just putting money into a black hole, a void that you're not sure how things are going. So think about this billboard. You put a billboard, you spend three grand for a month for a billboard to be up in whatever area. I don't know what billboards cost, but I just assume it's about that much. Three grand, you put a billboard up and you just hope that that is paying off for you. Now, the smart billboards, they're sending it to a landing page that they can actually track and see how that works. That turns a billboard into direct response, but most people don't do that. Direct response marketing is me putting a Facebook ad up and seeing how many people actually click through to my website, how many people sign up for my thing or contact me or download my resource or how many people book a call with me, a consultation call or a discovery call. Like These are all things that I can directly measure so that I know at the end of the day is the investment that I spent on time or or money on this advertising that I did, is this, is this actually worth it to me? Yes or no? And here's the thing. I think a lot of people hear direct you know, response advertising or Google ads or, or all of this stuff, all this like measurable advertising, and immediately they're like, that just sounds fancy. It's not fancy. It's super old. There's a really famous book called Scientific Advertising from 1927 by Claude C. Hopkins. And it's this basic idea of like, hey, what are ways that you can measure your advertising spend? What are ways that you can measure your effectiveness? And one of the things that they would do back in the day is they'd be like, okay, we're going to put an ad in the back of the Sears catalog, or we're going to put it in Life Magazine. And what we're going to do is we're going to put a little coupon code in there. And when you send in, you tear out this little piece of paper from the magazine, put your address on it, and you send it in to get more information about moon boots or you know, like some crazy 1950s product like kids would want to mail in for more information on. And what they would do is they'd run different versions of that ad in different copies of the magazine. So maybe half of the Sears catalogs would have this particular ad in it and the other half would have a different ad in it. And they would see which ad sold more for them. And then they would use that information and then go ahead and iterate on the next version of that ad based on what they had learned. This is really, really, really old, old tech but you can do it with new tech. You can do it with Google ads. You can do it with Facebook ads. You can do well, it on Instagram. It's easier now than it's ever been. Like back then it was complicated because you would have to, in order to get an ad out, you would have to likely hire a copywriter and they would write an ad and put it into a magazine. And they try to make it look like it's part of the magazine or part of the newspaper or as like an advertorial. And then in there, they would have some sort of call to action to either mail in for the thing that you're, that you're doing or call into a specific number. And then they would track manually how many calls or how many letters they got in the mail for that one ad. And they might test it against another version of that. And so it got, it was a very manual process in today's age. You can do all of that by just launching an ad on, on Facebook 
and then measuring the results and then Facebook's little manager or a dashboard just tells you how many clicks you got, how many or people. more specifically, launching two ads at the exact same time that say two different things. Yeah, I, I never do less than three ads at, at one time whenever I'm doing stuff just to test them directly against each other. And let me tie this back into branding on the first one. A lot of people think, hey, I've got, a, I've got my business. I'm going to run ads on Facebook or Google or whatever. And then the, the leads are, all the customers are just going to find me and it's going to be great and it's going to be magic. Sometimes that actually does happen that way. But it happens much more often when there's a clear brand message. When you say, let's say I'm selling film and I, you know, my website is blackandwhitefilm.com. And I'm like, hey, the number one resource for vintage film, blah, 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 blah. We only sell black and white. To have a website that only sells black and white film is a brand move. So we don't do color. It's not our thing. We don't do digital. It's not our thing. We do film and we only do black and white. If you run ads based on that, you have a much more likely, there's a much greater likeliness that you will actually get people to click on it because you're making a statement. We are all about this one thing. And if you are too, come on down. I don't know if I agree with this because now we're getting into the territory of like niching down and being part of a niche. Well, we are, but here's, this is my, this is my experience with running ads. If you do not make a clear proposition and say, I'm awesome at this one thing, it's really hard to get people to engage with those ads. What a lot of creatives will do is be like graphic design services, whether you need a logo or letterhead or wedding invitations, that doesn't work. You can't like write a paragraph of all the different one size fits all graphic design. Nobody will click on that ad. Well, now we're getting kind of down a rabbit hole of what makes a good direct response ad. And, and just to quickly clarify kind of what you're talking about is a good ad has one specific angle, one specific call to action for one specific result or thing. And so if you are just to go for the photography thing, it could be like a free, a free resource you're giving away for people that are interested in black and white photography. And then you're getting an email address and then you're selling them on people. So you know that anyone downloaded this is interested in black and white photography, or it could be people that are looking for black and white photography film or something. I don't know what it is. I'm just kind of pulling from your example, but the, the key takeaway here that's a little off topic, but it's still worth talking about is don't try to have multiple things that you're trying to sell or pitch or or talk about in any direct response ad. It should just be one thing, one specific thing. So you said like letterhead or blah or blah. It should just be one specific thing in the ad is, is yeah. Yeah. Well, for example, and feel free to edit this out if this is too far down the rabbit hole. If Oatly, to bring this back to our previous example, if Oatly were running ads on Instagram or Facebook and they were really clear, it's not milk that contains lactose. There's, there's a much better chance of people clicking on that rather than them saying like, all oh, different kinds of milk, milk alternatives and real milks and whole milks. That doesn't work. There's not a brand message there. Oatly can run ads because they're so clear about like, hate almond milk? Try Oatly. Like there's so many things that you can do by committing to just being clear and hey, we're all about this one thing. And what's funny about that is I say that, I struggle with it so much. I have so many businesses that are unconnected to each other. And I send, even on this podcast, I send a weird, who's is he, a software developer? Is he a mastering engineer? Is he a business coach? It's a business coach. I'm a business coach. That's the main job now. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't. Because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, 
we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. But I'm doing too much stuff and I'm diluting my brand as a result of that. And man, it's challenging, but it's something we should all be wrestling with. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the second, the second advertising or marketing method is direct response marketing. And this is, if you're going to do any sort of marketing and you don't hear, even know about the third thing we're about to talk about now, that would be what I would suggest is just focus on direct response, things that you can directly manage or measure the results of so that you can make informed decisions that will ultimately set you off the right direction. Because here's, I'll give you an example. You, you do, and by the way, this doesn't have to be paid ads, by the way. Like this can, you could do direct response marketing on your Facebook page, on your Instagram page, on TikTok. You can do any, on any medium in in like any, any medium, like you could post something on Facebook where you're talking through like, Hey, I had this issue and then I did this. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about how I did this, click here. That's literally a direct response because people clicking here, actually Instagram, you can't really click in the, in the post, but I digress. You're asking for them to take a specific action, maybe to DM you or maybe a poll on an Instagram story. All these things are directly, people are directly responding to something you're bringing up or something you're saying or something you're asking. And so you can do this on any medium, but this is the way you want to do it. Something where you can Try something, see the response from people, and then make an informed decision of where to go next. Do you double down on this thing? Do you shift to something else? I'll give you an example on eventually, I'm not going to tell you when or how or whatever, the Six Figure Creative will be on TikTok. We have somebody who's helping us get some clips. And what we're doing, one of our strategies and, and things that we're trying on TikTok is pulling small clips from our podcast episodes to test on TikTok. Now, I don't have any grand aspirations about what TikTok will do for us. But what I do know is it's a great place to test little bite-sized pieces of information to see what sort of stuff resonates with different audiences so that we can get feedback and determine what stuff we talk about in the future. So it's more of a feedback and, and measurement tool and direct response tool than it is a way to grow our brand, at least right now. That's just one small example. Lots of ways this goes, but the key takeaway for direct response marketing is having one clear thing that you're trying to get across to somebody that they directly respond to in some way that informs you of whether or not it's going to work from here on out. Do you need to make a decision to go left, go right, or stay on the same path? That's basically direct response marketing. Anything else to add to that before I move on to number three here, Chris? No. Beautiful. So the third and my favorite and the thing that I suggest and the thing that I've built my last decade of business off of is a term we're going to borrow from our previous guest that we just had on episode 153, the author of the book, The Go-Giver. And I'm calling this marketing method, the go-giver marketing method. The reason we're calling this is if you've read the book, you kind of already have a feel for what that is. But this is essentially the content marketing approach. Would you agree or disagree with that, Chris? hundred percent agree. Yeah. So the go-giver marketing approach, essentially you're 
taking content that you've created that's helpful for your ideal customer or client, whatever word you like to use there, that is helping them reach their ultimate end goal, whatever their ultimate end goal is, and you're helping them all along the way. That's, that's how I kind of do things. So for Good Fortune Media, my podcast agency, creating content for business owners who have their eye on a podcast, they're too busy to do a podcast, but it's helping them inch along the way of ultimately launching a podcast. That's the kind of content I'll create. And oh, by the way, if you need help with your podcast, Good Fortune Media is there to take every single thing off your plate. So all you have to do, take one questionnaire, one kickoff call, we handle the rest. That's kind of like the path to a sales conversation from there. But all along the way, I'm helping them without asking for anything in return. It's just, if you need help with something, I am there to help. My company is there to help. There's other strategies to do with this, like with Six Figure Creative. This episode is a piece of content marketing. This is go-giver marketing. We are creating free content with our own time that is helping you with your business, ultimately grow and fulfill your business with no strings attached. We're not selling anything on this episode. We're not pitching you really anything on this episode. There might be some advertisements that we put on this episode for some of the things that we are doing. But again, you don't have to ever buy or listen to those. You can skip them, whatever you want. But that's go-giver marketing. We're just freely giving information that we've learned and done from trial and error and from people we found in the podcast and from friends and our masterminds over the years to help grow our businesses freely to you. That's go-giver marketing in a nutshell. It's I'm telling you anything I possibly can about a specific thing or something that helps you reach your goals. And boy, let me tell you what, when I first found out about this, it was through a book called Trust Agents by Josh Brogan, I think is his name. Never heard of that book. It's older, but the ba- it was sort of a bleeding edge content marketing book. And it basically talked about like, hey, go help a bunch of people by making content that helps them and building trust with them. Do that first and then try to sell to them. Let me actually go back on what I said a second ago, because this is, this is an important point that it's, this is not just a content marketing approach. Content marketing is a fantastic way to use go-giver marketing. But in the reality of the situation, like go-giver marketing is more than just content. Example, like if I'm having lunch with somebody, that's kind of go-giver marketing. If I'm helping them with their business, if it's like a student or if it's like somebody in our niche or somebody that just needs help from me, that's go-giver marketing. Me helping someone one-on-one with no strings attached. And what's funny is like someone will, like I have a lunch link that I send to people if they want to have lunch with me here in Nashville, hit up my assistant. He'll send you the link if you're here in Nashville. And I always buy the lunch in that situation. And they're there to ask me questions. That's go-giver marketing because I know that eventually that will pay off in some way, shape, or form. And that's not even why I'm doing it. I just do it because I love helping people. The result of that is it pays off tenfold. You don't know, it doesn't pay off tenfold every single time, but in the grand scheme of life, if you, are, if you set your business up to be a go-giver, you're giving more than you're taking. You are freely giving with no strings attached. It comes, it's, it's counterintuitive, but it comes back to you tenfold. Now, I think there's a place where people often go wrong with this. I, I can imagine that there are people that are listening right now that are like, man, I am so good to my clients. I give them so much. Like I go over the top, I bend over backwards and they just stomp on me and take advantage of me and ask for ridiculous revisions. Well, there's, there's, there's a fine line between being a go-giver and being a pushover. Yeah. There's a big difference. There's a big difference, but a fine line. So let me, let's talk about that for a second. A pushover is the one that they let their clients walk all over them because they have no policies in place in their business. They have no boundaries up in place. And they're just bending over backwards to make a client happy. They ask you for something very unreasonable or something that's outside of the bounds of what was in your client agreement. And all of a sudden you're the bad guy because you didn't do it. And now you feel bad about it. That's not necessarily the situation. Being a go-giver is not being a pushover. (laughs) So that's an important thing. So if you struggle with being a pushover and you're the kind of person that like does everything that the client has ever asked you to do, that's not what we're saying here. Like that there needs to be, there needs to be boundaries in place. 
reasonable boundaries that are fully communicated to the client so that when they ask you for something outside of what the client agreement was, you can make the decision whether you want to help or not. But when it's when it goes above and beyond, like when it puts you in a bad spot because you're going out of your way to help this person, that's where I, I think it's, I think it's, would you disagree, Chris? No, not necessarily. I, I think one of the things that you can do that I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of is when somebody asks for something that's above and beyond, something that was unforeseen, what I like to do, if there's a, a, an opportunity to do this, is to say, yeah, no problem. I can do that. I can go above and beyond. We didn't talk about that. But just FYI, like the next time this happens, I would have to charge additional for it. But this, yeah. th- this time, no problem. Yeah, I'll hook you up. But the, here's the thing is you, you make that decision. You get to make that decision when you have policies in place to do this of what happens. And I think the biggest issue that most pushovers have, maybe this is another episode in and of itself, but most pushovers, they don't have those policies or those boundaries in place in the first place. And so they get the situation where someone asks for something that they feel like is reasonable, but isn't really reasonable, but it's your fault because you didn't communicate ahead of time what was reasonable and what wasn't reasonable. So that's really, I think, a, the, the pickle people put themselves in. Well, and I think that we as creatives experience this differently than most other professions do. Because when you're doing creative work, there's often this element. When you're working with on creative projects with creative clients, often there's an element of, of self-actualization where the client is doing something or you're doing something that's part of your legacy. And when there's an issue like that, to say no is to say, I don't really, I'm not into your self-actualization or you're trying to improve yourself or you're trying to like leave a legacy and it gets offensive. It gets weird. And where, where Brian and I come from the music industry, when a client asks for something that's outside of the scope of the arrangement and you say, no, you're saying, I don't give a crap about your music or you, I don't give a crap about your soul because I won't do this extra thing on your project. And that gets really problematic to communicate that in language where the client will not get offended. You know, they feel like in a lot, a lot of cases in the music industry, they feel like you are obligated to just like, Hey, whatever you have to do to get this over the finish line, I don't care if it's 10 times the work you thought it was going to be like, we're in this together and we're doing something great together. That's not untrue all the time. Well, cause I, I want to say this, like there've been plenty of times in my life as a freelancer that I have been the person that's been walked over and I go out of my way to make them happy because I know that at the end of the day, that's going to be better for my reputation and my brand. Now, those situations came up because of exactly what I talked about. I didn't have policies in a place, but I just want to make sure we stay on topic here and like, and just say, being a go-giver is not being a pushover. That's not what we're saying. Back on topic now, Chris, because this is again, a kind of a, a different conversation of like, how much is too much? And we can maybe have an episode on that in the future if people want that. But I will say that being a go-giver is kind of just, a, it's, it's not just a marketing method. It is kind of a, it's more of a mindset. And I'll give you an example. We have a, uh, a barbershop here in Nashville that I used to go to. And the owner is very much the antithesis of what a go-giver is. He's very, for lack of a better word, selfish. Snippy. He's snippy. Uh, okay. There you go. <laughs> He's selfish. He's closed off. He's not willing to share information freely. I'll give you an example. He, my barber. He's a buzzkill. There you go. My barber worked at the shop, but was not <laughs> the owner on, of the shop. Come on, give me some credit. That was quality. <laughs> I'm trying to stay focused in the near okay. puns. My, it's my Good job. God. That's the last one you get, man. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to kick you out of this room if you do it again. I'm just taking these right off the top of my head. <laughs> like a barber. But you're <sighs> bald. So, okay. All right. You have nothing left. Okay. <laughs> Literally. Let's talk about this. This guy was the antithesis of a go-giver. He owns a barbershop. He has three people working for him at this barbershop. One of those is my barber. He would go get training at these fancy facilities and then share none of it with his own employees. Like that's how, that's how close off he was. And like he's, has been quoted for saying, 
when someone wants to learn something from him, he says, I don't, I'm not in the business of training my competition. That's an anti-go-giver. That's somebody who is holding it all in, grasping on for dear life, the scarcity mindset. And because of this, his business is failing. All his barbers have left him. He's got a very bad reputation in town. People don't want to even work with people that are associated with that place. So my barber is launching his own barbershop. He's a much more of a go-giver. He's willing to share information. He's willing to help when people ask for it. He's there for people. He's there to train his employees. Like He's very much a go-giver. And his, because of this, I already know his barbershop will be successful. So that's just like a complete outside of our freelance creative world. Actually, not completely. Barbers are kind of their own freelancers too, but that's beside the point. That's right. That, right. That's what can happen. It's a creative, is, it's a creative, creative freelance service provider job. Yeah. Kind of is. I'm not really going after them specifically, but Ryan, if you're listening, you could, you could get a lot of this podcast probably, <laughs> but let's, let's, let's get back on topic here. Being a go-giver is a mindset. It is not just a strategy that you employ in order to make more money. That's why go-giver marketing is different from direct response. You can do direct response marketing and be a go-giver, but you can be also a direct response marketer and be a scarcity mindset, holding it all for yourself, hoarding information for yourself, not doing things that you should be doing, not doing things that you don't necessarily have to do because you're, you're holding it all close to your chest and you don't want to lose anything. And you're that, you're that person that's, that's leaving everyone else with the tab. You can be, you can't, you can be one and not the other, but you can't be a go-giver and be that way as well. So that's, that's the, th- that's the third in the, the way that I think most people should run their businesses. If they want to be a marketer, who's going to, or not even a marketer, if you want to market your business, your creative services in a way that isn't icky, in a way that builds friendships, builds relationships, makes you look like somebody who freely gives when everyone else in your, in your arena might be holding and withholding and hoarding. It makes people feel better about you. That makes people feel indebted to you because you genuinely help them in some way, shape, or form. You help them through content. You help them through services, through additional things you did for free. You help them through answering questions that they had where everyone else is just sitting to the sideline saying, uh, it's not my problem. Yeah, man. It's weird. You don't want to work with stingy people. You don't want to go to a restaurant where the, the soup Nazi, like that's not how you grow a business. You know, it's for, that, you, for people who are too, too young to remember, that's a, that's a Seinfeld reference. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, in the Seinfeld, there's a Seinfeld episode where there's this guy and he makes really good soup and it's in New York city and you have to walk in and stay in line and have correct change and like only say certain things. And if you break any of the rules, no soup for you. And he kicks you out of the store. Yeah. And the, the hilariousness of this episode is that there's a line out the door all the time. People are obsessed with the soup. And despite the fact that the guy is a jerk, he has this thriving business in New York City. And you can't be a soup Nazi creative. Ooh, that's kind of nice. You can't be a soup Nazi creative. You have to develop relationships and friendships and be kind and be trustworthy. And when people like you, there's such a better opportunity for them to tell people about you. So, and here's, here's kind of one thing as we kind of wrap this, this up is people who aren't go-givers, they look at their competition as something to be crushed, something to be stepped on as you get to your goal. And I think that's why so many creators are allergic to marketing is because they think that's what marketing and advertising is. They think it's stepping on others to get them to your goal. Go-givers don't have competitors. Go-givers have collaborators, people that they can be friends with and learn from and grow with and, and refer work to when your calendar is full and get work referred to you when their calendar is full and teach each other things. Go-givers are collaborators. Go-getters, I guess you could say. That's what they say in the book in the Go-Giver. Go-getters are the people who are stepping on others to, get to, to try to get ahead. It's kind of that 90s, 80s and 90s business mentality that they used to have back in the day that just doesn't really bye, work bye, in today's sell, sell. Yeah. Now that you have the, the, the transparency of the internet and people can freely communicate with each other how, how stingy or bad people can be, it is a lot harder to be 
an old school business owner who steps on people to get to where you want these days. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. You can always show the exception, exception to the rule, but as a creative, as a freelancer, as somebody who values my relationships in my life, I don't want to be known as the person who stood on the corpses of others to get to where I wanted to go. 